Nobody other than a preacher has any idea of how difficult it is sometimes to know exactly what to preach. And so uh, I, I tell you, I can't remember how many years it's been since something like this has actually happened. I usually try to, you know, not let anything determine what I preach because a lot of times I have certain feelings on my heart that, you know, I... I, I, I'm just, you know, I'm determined to preach this or that or whatever, and it can be a real struggle. And I'm going to be perfectly honest, there are some times that, you know, it comes 11 o'clock and it's time to preach, and uh, you you got to preach. And there's some times you're sitting here thinking, oh, Lord, I, I hope this is the right message. But let me tell you, you guys can, in the sound room can forget everything that I said earlier. That's not the message, okay? I'm not sure what it's going to be, but I know it's where it's going to be from. And it's going to be entirely different than what I had in mind when I came this morning. In fact, what I've been settled on for several days. And so if I'm making a mistake, God forgive me and help me and bless your word anyway. Job chapter number 19. Job chapter number 19. Never forget hearing my mom and uh, the neighbor talking about the Bible and their favorite book and I didn't even know Mom had read the Bible, but uh, anyway, I heard her tell the neighbor that the book of Job was her favorite book of the Bible, and uh, I never understood why until after I was saved and began to study the book of Job, and now I can see how that might happen. Job chapter 19, verse number 25, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Amen. I've often read a passage from the Bible that just leaves me feeling like that I could never say enough about that verse. And this is one of them. We think about John chapter 3 and verse 16, and every preacher knows what I'm talking about. How, do you, how can you possibly even think that you can begin to exhaust everything that's in that one verse? God so love the world. I, I can't explain that. It's beyond anything I can understand or anything I can explain. Well, whenever I come to these two verses, this little section of God's Word, I, I'm just left wondering, what, what am I going to say? There is so much here and so little time. Everything here, if you'll notice, centers upon the fact that here is a man, Job, in agony. Now, we would have spoken about absolutely anybody on the earth at some time in their life, and no doubt we could say that they are in a time of agony. But that's true of Job. This is what he's going through, and I wish I had time to speak more about the terrible suffering that this man has endured all that he's gone through. And here's a man who has basically lost everything that that we hold dear. All of those things, you know, that we uh, 
that we value most in life. He lost his fortune, his family, his friends, everything is gone. I mean, he's wiped out and doesn't know why. Well, I mention that because it's always important to try to understand the situation that a person is in. And whenever you look at a story like this, and a time like this that Job's going through, at a time like that, we need a message like this. A man in agony. I could walk up and down these aisles and I could speak to different people here this morning that if they would really just bear their soul and tell everything that is on their heart, you would discover that there are people here today that are in agony. They might not talk about it. You might not even be able to pry it out of them, but they are in agony some way or another. It might be a physical affliction. It might be emotional trauma. It might be a relationship. It could be 411 different things, but people here today are hurting and hurting deeply, and that could be said of those that are not here. It's a time of agony. But the wonderful thing about it here, here is a man that is in agony, but a man who has assurance. He says, I know. In other words, what, what he's about to say is not a guess. He has his brother Ron loves to sing, blessed assurance. Amen. It's wonderful to know that you have that blessed assurance that you can depend upon God, that whatever God says is true. And Job is certain of that which he speaks of. And look, if you own a Bible, there is no reason for you to be confused about the important things in life. You can know. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What did he commit to the Lord? Everything. There was not one facet of Paul's life that he was concerned about losing. He knew that God had promised to meet every need to save his soul, to keep him until that final day of redemption. And it's so sad to see people living without that blessed assurance. You ask them if they're saved, and they, well, you know, I think I am, I, I hope I am. But look, folks, you don't need to be confused about those important issues. Amen. You know, some people got the idea, and sometimes we preachers are accused of being a know-it-all or holier-than-thou, and... You know, people say, well, you, you, you think you're right about all of those things you believe? Well, of course I do. If I didn't, I'd change my mind. I'd be a fool to get up here and start preaching stuff, you know, that I wasn't certain about. And the reason I can be certain is not because I'm smarter, because I'm not. It's not because I have some divine revelation, some angel that folks down on feathery wings and whispers in my ear and tells me things that others don't know. I can be certain of these things because of this blessed old book I hold in my hand. It is the truth from the beginning to the end. And so Job says, I know. So here's a man in agony, but a man that has assurance. And I want you to notice the things that he was aware of. You know, saying I know is one thing, but what do you know? What is he speaking of? Well, he describes it. He was certain about the reality of Christ. There's no doubt about that. 
Remember, he's speaking about his Redeemer, so he is certain about the reality of Christ. I know my Redeemer liveth. He's certain about the redemption of Christ. He's also certain about the return of Christ. Now remember, this this is thousands of years before the Lord came. And he says, I'm certain about it. It hasn't even happened yet. You see, those folks in the Old Testament were looking forward to Calvary and we're looking back at it. But our faith is based on exactly the same thing. And he was certain about his redemption. He was certain about the return of Christ. He was certain about the resurrection. Not only the resurrection of Christ, but his own. And he speaks here, notice, about a reunion with Christ. He's going to be joined with Him. Amen. You know, but of all of the things that He is most excited about, I think it's the, the revelation of His Redeemer that, that He seems to be most excited about. And that brings us down to what I want to speak most about this morning. And that is Job's anticipation. A man in agony, but he has assurance. That assurance is based upon his awareness of God's truth. And that's where our assurance must always be. Based not upon how we feel, but based upon what God says. And as a result of that, here is a man living in agony, but he's living in agony with great anticipation. Notice again what he says in verse number 26, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, wouldn't it be horrible if it just had a period there and stopped? But he says, yet in my flesh, and here is the whole key to it all, in my flesh shall I see God. Notice he doesn't say anything about heaven. Whenever we think about heaven, you know, what a sight to see. Uh, heaven is beautiful to behold. I mean, just from reading the Bible about the walls of Jasper and the gates of pearl and the street of gold, and we, we, we get this picture in our mind of what heaven is going to be like, and it's all amazing. But after we've made our very best effort in trying to describe heaven, we have to admit the half has not yet been told. And the greatest orators who ever lived on the face of this earth have not been able to actually describe heaven. I can remember listening to perhaps the greatest orator of our time, Dr. R.G. Lee, hearing him personally, and I, I, I just shaking his hand and looking him in the eye just... Uh, was such an experience for me. I, I just couldn't believe a man could speak as that man could. But even old Dr. R.G. Lee couldn't describe heaven. I've known many of the other popular preachers down through the last 50 years or so, and not a one of them has ever been able to describe the glories of heaven. I've read just about everything Charles Spurgeon has ever written. But even Charles Spurgeon could not describe the glories of heaven. Job doesn't say anything here at all about heaven. Job doesn't say anything about the saints. Every Christian here is looking forward to being reunited 
with someone, some loved one that's already gone to heaven. And maybe you ought to just stop for a moment and just think about the names of those that have gone before. Let's do that. Just I'm not going to say a word for just a little bit. Boy, I've got names just rolling through my mind right now. I'm talking about people that most of you here would even know. I don't know about you, but I look forward to being able to see them again. Some of you are anxiously awaiting the day that you can see your mama again or your daddy again. And all of us can think of somebody that's dear to our heart. I sure want to see old brother Hankins, the only pastor I ever had, the man that whose preaching brought me to a saving knowledge of Christ, died at a young age of a heart attack, been in heaven all of these years now. And I sure want to see him. We can all think of someone, and, and I'm certain that Job could think of those, even his children, his own dear children that have, that have died, and yet notice there, not one word about that. You can only imagine how he might feel as he thinks about them. He could have said that I, I live in anticipation of seeing my departed kids again. Oh, how I want to see them. But not a word about heaven. Not a word about the saints. And, and by the way, there's no mention here whatsoever of, of any rewards. That's not a minor matter, by the way. Did not Christ Himself tell us to lay up treasures in heaven? He encourages us to do that, to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And we long for that day when we're going to be rewarded for the service that we've rendered to the Lord. But Job doesn't mention any of these things. And it's certainly not because they're unimportant. The reason is because there was something more glorious. Something more wonderful than seeing mom and dad. Something more wonderful than seeing the sights of heaven. Something more wonderful than being rewarded for what we've done. And notice what he says. He says that he's going to see God. Let me tell you what a person delights to see tells you what kind of a person he or she is. You know, there's some people, we might want to see our favorite team win the championship. For those in, of us in Houston, I mean, we, we saw that. The Cubs fans up there in Chicago, that horrible place, they waited all of those years until finally they brought a championship to Wrigley Field. There's some people that want to see the, the wonders of the world and they spend every dollar they have in traveling the globe because they want to see all of the wonders of the world. And I know you think I'm really weird and what have you, but I, 
I don't care a thing in the world about that. I'd rather see somebody walk down this aisle and trust Jesus Christ as my as their Savior. I'd rather see that than to travel to Rome or anywhere in this world. But I'll tell you what, whenever it gets right down to it, for every Christian, the one thing above everything that we want to see is Jesus. And Job is longing for that day when his faith is going to be turned to sight. When finally, in his flesh, in a glorified body, that he's going to be able to look upon God. You see, that is, that is the ultimate satisfaction of the soul. Seeing our Savior is the sum, it's the substance of heaven. Without Him, the gates of pearl and the street of gold and the walls of jasper and all the other things, all of those things would be meaningless without Him. Even being in the company of mom and dad and all of those dearly departed loved ones would be meaningless if God's not there. And in His suffering, He tells us in chapter 23, and I'll save that for another time, but Job tells us there, he said, where do I find God? This seems like strange language for a man who knows so much about God, for a man who longs to see God. But remember, in his agony, there were moments when Job, as perfect as he was, acted out of character, said things that, that he just, you know, knew better. But, but he said, where's God? How can I find God? It's as though God has forsaken me. My children are gone. My business is gone. Everything is gone. Even my wife wishes I was dead. My wife's encouraging me to just curse God and die. Get it over with. Get out of my way. Job's wondering what in the world is going on. And his friends come and God help him. His friends come to supposedly to encourage him, and they just camp out at his bedside. They stay there day after day after day. They're sitting there, and, and they can't just sit there with their mouths shut. They feel like they've got to say something, and each one speaks and reveals their ignorance. And if I could sum up the whole of what they had to say, it's Job... We know you must be hiding something. There must be some secret sin in your life. There must be something going on that we don't know about. There must be some reason that God has cursed you and brought all of these bad things on you. None of them had a clue what they were talking about. Because if you go back and read the story, you'll see that this was not a matter of something that Job had done wrong. It is a matter of God demonstrating His sovereign control over this world. And He told the devil, He said, you do whatever you want, just you can't take His life. But here He is. Because the devil said, you, you know, if you just take your hand off of Job, he, he, He'll curse you. He'll deny you. And in all of this, Job stood true to God. But he's just a man and he doesn't understand. And it's as though Job is saying, if you read there in chapter 23, 
that Job is wanting a face-to-face meeting with God. And, and he says, I would ask him the reason why. If I could just meet him face to face, if I could just have a, a sit down talk with him. But here he's telling us that that's going to happen, that he's going to see God. You know, here, in this world here, we hear of him. We don't see him, but we hear of him, right? But there we shall see Him and we shall hear Him. And here we commune with Him in worship. And whenever we truly worship God in spirit and truth, we leave here knowing that we've been in the very presence of God. Something that we can't describe to anybody else, but something that we feel with all of our soul to the very core of our being. We know that we've met with God, that He's been here in our midst. But then we shall indeed be with God. Here we just get glimpses of His attributes. I can stand or Brother Preston can stand and preach about the grace of God and the mercy of God and the faithfulness of God and the holiness of God. And we can, we can speak about those glorious attributes, but there we're going to see Him in His glory. We'll see Him, not just hear about Him. And let me tell you, herein lies the happiness of heaven. That's why the psalmist said, you know, that he would rejoice whenever I wake in your presence. Being in the very presence of God will take away every tear from our eye. Amen. It'll put a song in our heart. I was sitting there a while ago looking out and wondering how some of you can be so deadpan while we were singing some uh, about our Redeemer, what have you. I was watching old Brother Fred back there, and Brother Fred was really getting in it. I mean, the, the Baptist Costal was coming out in him, and I thought, that's it, you go, brother. Amen. Brother Ron was saying amen. I hear Brother Hamlin over here, amen. And I don't, look, I don't aim to embarrass you. I just, I gotta wonder what in God's name is wrong with you. To sit there like a knot on the log, uh, just no no expression of joy, no words of praise. How can you do that? But I'll tell you, if you're a child of God, someday you're going to wake up in the presence of God and you're going to skip down Hallelujah Avenue, kicking up gold dust under your feet, shouting, Glory, glory, glory! Amen! In that day, there will none of us remain silent. We're going to see Him. It's what John said. He said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. He didn't say someday we're going to become the sons of God. He said, now we are the sons of God. Amen? Amen. We are the sons of God. And he said that we're going to see Him. And he said we're going to be like Him. To think about awakening in the in His very likeness, in His presence. Someday, my dear friend, you're going to see the one who has never taken his eye off of you. Oh, you might have felt like Job. Brother Ron and Peggy might have felt like Job whenever God decided to take Doug home. They might have felt like, where's God? 
Where's God? Why, why would God allow this to happen? But Jeff Maxey might have felt like, well, God has forgotten me because he took my daddy. I, I, you know, I thought he had several good years left. And where was God in all of this? And all of us have those times that we feel like Job. We wonder, where's God? He's watching. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know He watches me. Amen? He's looking down. He sees your sorrow. He sees the heavy weight of your heart. He knows what you're going through. But He also knows He's not through yet. The story hasn't been finished. The last chapter hasn't been written. There's coming that glorious day that we often sing about when we're going to be called up into the very presence of God and see Him as He is and be transformed into His likeness. You remember it was Moses that asked God. I remember God has set before him what seemed to be an impossible task. And Moses said to God, show me, show me your glory. And in other words, he wanted a glimpse of God. And God did, but remember, it was just a glimpse as Moses hid in the cleft of the rock and God just passed by. And it so affected Moses that when he went down to meet with the people, he had to put a veil over his face. He had been transformed. His face was glowing to the extent that he couldn't converse with the people without that veil in between. Let me tell you, in that great day of which Job is speaking about, and we see our dear Savior, we'll know as we are known. We will see Him who is invisible, and there will be no veil in between. Amen. There's a lot that's been said about what we're going to do when we see Jesus. And it's usually not really thought through as well as it should be. The one song says we'll sing and shout and dance about. and Maybe we will, but will we? I, I'm not so sure. You know, I've often said myself, more than anything, I want to hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And just to know that I have pleased Him, that's what I want to hear. You know, that really sounds good, but I think there's something that's better than that. Something better than for me to be thinking about me and what's coming to me. Something better than to be reunited with my loved ones or to meet the saints of old. And that is for our attention to be focused on Jesus. And let me tell you, I believe Revelation chapter 5 tells us exactly what our response is going to be. Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe we'll fall on our face and not speak a word for a thousand years, just stunned in the sight of His magic. I don't know. But I know that the whole chorus in heaven will be singing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And I don't know, it might go on for a million years. I don't know. 
Worthy is the You see, all of the focus is going to be upon Him. Our attention is going to be on the Savior, not on self. Our attention will be on the Redeemer, not the rewards. Christ should be, Christ will be the very center of attention. And all eyes shall be upon Him and all of our praise unto Him. That's the hope of every Christian, every child of God. I want you to really get a hold of that because there are some of you, yeah, you say, well, I know that I'm a Christian, but this Christian life isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Let me tell you why you feel that way. You feel that way because you have unrealistic expectations of what life ought to be. You think it ought to be a bed of roses, a bowl of cherries. You think it ought to be fun and easy and exciting, what have you. God's not trying to make you happy. God's trying to make you holy. God's working in our lives to create something with us for the ministry He has for us after this life is over. He's just getting you ready, folks. And we think it's all about here and now. And it's not about here and now. It's about what is to come. God doesn't have any underprivileged children. doesn't have any orphans. God is alive and well. God takes care of His own. Whenever Job said that he's going to see God, that same thing's true of every child of God. The only people that's not true of are those who do not know Christ is their personal Savior. And the only sight you'll see of Him is there at the great white throne judgment whenever He says, Depart from Me, and you're banished to a devil's hell for all of eternity. But in the meantime, as the children of God, trying to do the will of God, and suffering, let me say this clear now, suffering even at the very hand of God, because He either appoints it or He allows it. And whatever it is that we're going through, God's in control. And as we're going through all of this what are we supposed to be doing? How do we endure? I'm going to tell you. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus. It didn't say looking. At, we can't look at Jesus yet. We can't see Him. But until the day that we see Him, we need to be looking unto Him. Looking unto Jesus. That look, That's the key for anyone being able to overcome sin, to resist sin. That's the key to anyone having joy unspeakable and full of glory and a peace that passeth all understanding and love unspeakable. That's the key to everything in the life of, of a Christian is to be looking unto Jesus. And if you're going to be looking unto Jesus, you're going to have to be looking into His Word. Looking unto Jesus. And someday, we're going to see Him. We often sing that song, I don't know, Timmy may be getting it ready, I don't know when we see Christ. Wow. Think about that.
I almost preached this morning. I had intended to preach about God's warnings. And let me tell you, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, let this be a warning to you. Your only hope of ever being able to actually see the Lord Jesus Christ, the only hope of heaven, only hope of being reunited with your uh, with your saved loved ones, the only hope is for you to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Trust Him. And if you're here and you're a child of God in the will of God, let me tell you, we don't have anything at all to complain about. I know, I ha- yeah, I have to slap myself too. There's so many times we're tempted to murmur and complain because of this problem and that problem. Job could have done that. He could have just sat down and cried a river of tears and gave up saying, what's the use? But he didn't. You know why he didn't? Because he anticipated the day that he was going to see God and all, all of those things that he didn't understand. And that day, God would make perfectly clear his plan for what Job had gone through. And I can promise you when we stand before the Lord and we hear his explanation, I'm not sure we'll need an explanation, by the way. Amen? Amen. But if we do, there will not be one of us complain. Not one of us say, Lord, you know, I... I think you could have, I think you could have done it a better way. We'll all be in agreement that God did it just right. Amen. Let's stand. Father, how we thank you this morning for the privilege of having assurance in our heart, assurance of our relationship with you, assurance of all of the things that you've promised us in your word. We're so grateful that we don't have to live in this life overcome by doubt and fear, but rather to have that calm assurance in our heart as we anticipate those glorious things awaiting us as Your children. Forgive us of the times that we murmur and complain. Forgive us of the times that we feel we've been treated unfairly. And help us, Lord. Help us to trust You more. And as Job said, though He slay me, Yet will I trust Him. God, let that be our attitude this morning, that regardless of what happens, that our trust is in You, and we're not going to be moved away from that. Heavenly Father, for that man or woman, some boy or girl that's here today, and all of this seems so strange to them. They're here today and deep within their heart. It might be that there is a measure of fear, there's uncertainty, there's doubt. And I pray today that you'll help them to realize that in Christ they can find absolutely everything they need. And may your Holy Spirit draw them to the cross at Calvary that they'd be saved here right now this morning. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing this morning... Page 202. If you're hearing God speaking to your heart about anything whatsoever, it might just be a season of prayer. I don't know, but you come. Amazing.
Lord. Thank God now we've been found. And even though we were blind, now we can see. before we sing the other two stanzas to that song you know just sitting i just i got a feeling that maybe i was harsh and hurt some feelings while ago and what i said and uh you know a part of me wants to say please forgive me for doing that but the other part of me says you're the one that's got the problem not me look i'm trying to help you I'm trying to help you to understand that if you don't have joy that's unspeakable, if you don't have a peace that passeth all understanding, if you can't come to church and worship God, I just want you to see something. You're missing something. There's something really seriously wrong. And I don't feel like I'd be doing my job just to give you one of those little sermonettes, you know, and pat you on your back and tell you you're just fine. I'm trying to help you. And if you're here this morning and you know, you know what I said is true. And you know there's some things you need to get right with God, then why don't you come and do that? You don't have to say anything to me. You don't have to say anything to Brother Preston if you don't want to. You don't have to walk down that aisle. I don't care. Just sit down, lay down, whatever. But whatever you do, get it right with God before you leave, please. Let's sing those next two stanzas, Tim. Mm-hmm. 